We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Arsenal show the snide Bayern cunts. They're not the only ones who can score five goals at the Emirates. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Bayern Munich thinks they're so special because they can score five goals at the Emirates. Well, we can too, motherfuckers, and we did it against Lincoln, so eat it. We have a full boat podcast today, which means that no one will get a word in edgewise. We will simply do ten minutes of each one, uh, providing their best Arsenal soliloquy, and then wrap it up. So... The first man to appear uh, is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. The next one is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause. In my pants. Hello, Pause. Yahoo! Yep, yep, that's right. And he's back. That's right. The man, the myth, the legend, fresh off his Arsecast debut, uh, now slumming it in our basement, watching uh, porn on Grandma's TV, is Clive. You can follow him on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Welcome to the basement, Clive. Early pod when I'm winning. Yeah, you do. We sang that last time. You don't have to remind us. Um, all right, here's what we're going to do. Quick whip round. We are going to do the draw live. The FA Cup draw is going to take place because Chelsea just beat uh, United and there was a sending off. So I'm sure Jose will take it in stride and handle it with the uh, utmost class and dignity as always. In any event, what I want to do to start just really quickly since the draw is going to be coming up is just get a quick one or two sentence answer from each of you uh, on the following. Clive, uh, who do you want to draw in the semifinal? Um, Spurs. I think so. I think if we lose to them, it'd be a lot less painful losing to them in the in the final. So I'll have Spurs in the semi. You realize, of course, we could just not draw them and lose in the semi to someone else, right? <laughs> nah, the Spurs. It's just that whole thing is just weighing on me. So I'd rather get okay. it out of the way. Get it out of the way. All right, take your medicine. That's that's fine, Paul. Yeah, uh, 
I kind of fancy Spurs just for the narrative. I think beating Spurs and then one of the other two in the final, that would be a hell of a story. Of mm-hmm. course, things can turn to shit, but I kind of like that build-up. But really, there's no bad, there's no boring draw here. So, um, if we visualize us winning the FA Cup at the end of it and it being something to really get fucking excited about, then. I think starting with Spurs and then beating one of the other two in the final would be a hell of a story. Tim, what about you? I don't want any of them, um, but um, probably I'd take Man City just because I think we're going to lose the semi-final, whoever we play, and it's going to hurt the least to lose to them. Fair enough. I am going to go with drawn against Chelsea only to have them... uh, Dis, uh, uh, I want them kicked out, disqualified. That's what I'm looking for. Disqualified from the FA Cup for bringing the game into distribute for uh, their behavior in the semifinal. We can find something. So then we are just passed through to the final. Uh, Spurs uh, losing to City. Deli Alley goes crazy and goes studs up on all 11 City players uh, in a flurry of, of mayhem and violence, causing them to all miss the final. And then we beat the City under 18 squad in the final. That would be the also- spirit. We've just beaten the city under twenty. Oh no, we drew no, we, the city we, under twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. Did we three-three? Yeah, yeah, we got to go. Uh, Carl <laughs> Jenkinson with the screamer in the in the final minute of five minutes extra time. Well, I, all the Arsenal players finding their level this week, indeed. Um, Can I also um, point out that we play Spurs in the league a week after the semi-final at White Hart Lane? So um, I really don't want to go there and hear them singing about going to Wembley. Yeah, I agree with that. And look, let's be honest, guys. We all know we're drawing Bayern, right? So I, mean, I don't know that there's any point for the draw whatsoever. Um, let's do this as the draw is closing in on us. Um, let's go ahead and just briefly touch on Lincoln before we get interrupted here. Clive, I'll start with you. Um, I think just overall, the thing that we, we've been looking for is a shape to get excited about. Um, it's hard when you're playing this level of competition to know how much you should take away from it. Sort of similar to that Southampton FA Cup game. Um, but it was the three-man midfield again. Um, is that something that you think is is the key to our season having any kind of uh, resurgence for the last couple of months? Uh, I think so. I think if you're if you're deciding to play Grant Shaq at the base of your midfield, you have to recognize what you can and can't do. He can dictate play, but he's not a great athlete. So don't expose his lack of athleticism. Make sure he's got two dynamic runners around him that can both receive the ball, that can both move the ball. And that allows him to just pick his support line runs and make us play. He's got a range of passes, we all know. And it, it feels a little bit it feels a little bit amateur time because I think all of us on this podcast recognise what he can do and what he can't do. I'm not sure why it's taken until March to work out that he needs two people quite close to him to make sure he maximizes his talent. So if you buy this guy for 35 million, then give him something that can work for him. And then I suppose it, it then puts into sharp contrast what happens with Ozil. And I think maybe Wenger's bought these players, but just, just not quite know how to fit them together. But in some ways, their styles are so obvious it makes the formation available pretty obvious. You have one or two options. you just got to commit to it. And the, and he, he hasn't done. He's tried to force these players into his shape. 
And guess what? Teams have picked us off, and, mm-hmm. and the best teams pick us off really, really easily. And so we're going to end up with this scenario going forward, unless we change how we coach and, and set up ourselves structurally. But I know you guys agree with me, so that's, that was easy to say. So that's it. <laughs> yeah, you're picking the low-hanging fruit right now, Paul. Um, because I am not a petty guy, I'm not going to bring up that uh, that Lucas didn't get the start because that would be related to our... Oh, wait. Breaking news. We have a draw. This just in. It's Manchester City. It's Manchester City. Let's get reactions live from the crew. It's Manchester City. Oh, my goodness. Manchester City. That means it's Chelsea versus Spurs. Any way you look at it, we're going to have to earn this FA Cup. Uh, I don't think we can go down a few goals in the final and recover this one. But uh, let's start with you, Paul. What are your reactions to it being City? Um disappointed it wasn't it, it wasn't the one i wanted us to play but there's no bad draws here I, again if i'm if i'm painting my happy ending uh romantic scenario here i would not like to see a painting of your happy ending <laughs> <laughs> all right just for that i'm sketching something out on a piece of paper are you wearing the I'm heart not- of the ocean well, I'm not very good at drawing. You know, if I was to draw a hand, I'd put my hand on the sheet of paper and trace around it. So that's that's really the technique I'm apply. Yeah, just finishing it off here, and I'll be sending, scanning it and sending it over to you. So, yeah. Now, look, I really don't think there's a bad draw here. I think either, no matter what happens, these are going to be two really good semifinals and a hell of a final. Uh, so, fuck it. Why not Guardiola and the semis is the next best thing to avenging the Bayern defeat. Bring it on. Any argument, Tim, that this is the kindest draw because it gives us the team that may have the most to play for in other competitions of the three we could have drawn? Yeah, because if, you know, if City get through in the Champions League, then this, I think I'm right in saying this falls between the two legs of... Maybe the quarter or the semi-final, I can't remember. But yes, there is that. Um, I, Let me I tell still... you something else that's fallen between the two legs. <laughs> it's gotten so weird so quickly. Uh, uh, I'm Tim, just, just keep talking. Elliot, it's com- it's so, coming over, don't worry. Just keep talking, Tim. It will cut. Skype will just cut him out naturally. Just keep going. <laughs> And, uh, and and also, you know, of of the, uh, you know, maybe City are the flakiest. They're a bit more like us. I I have to be honest. I still don't. I I still don't see us winning. And if we do, I'm not sure my my poor little heart could take the final anyway. <laughs> um, but but nevertheless, um, you know, we we've still got a, a decent chance of going through to the final. Um, Listen, no, nobody will have wanted anybody in this draw. All four sets of fans would have been sitting there going, yeah, there's no one I really want to draw um, at the moment. But that said, Man City probably would have preferred us to say Chelsea. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's not yeah, away from home. They all wanted we, to draw us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all... And, and we beat, you know, we beat City at Wembley pretty handily um, a couple of years ago. So I appreciate that that was basically a friendly. But um, you know, we've we've got a fairly decent recent record against Manchester City. So um, yeah, bring it on. Why not? Sure, why not? Uh, hey, Clive. I guess my question for you then is, you know, if you think back to when we drew drew Bayern, um, whenever that is, December is that November? When was that draw? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
we were feeling pretty good about ourselves at the time, and there were quite a lot of people puffing out the chest and saying, we can beat this Bayern. They were struggling. We were feeling good. Fast forward, and we faced them, you know, really at the nadir of our season, or Nader, or Ralph Nader. I don't know. We, were, we faced them at a bad time. We were poopy. And, uh, yep. and it obviously, you know, ended with just the 10, 10-2 aggregate scoreline. But is there an argument to be made that as bad as everything feels right now, it's hard to imagine it gets much worse, and that... There could be some shoots of recovery that we could play ourselves back into a little form, that there are some winnable games along the way, and that potentially um, by the time we get to this semifinal, things could look and feel a little different than they do now. I know it's hard to have any optimism at this moment, but do you suspect that this, this team might, fi- might just find a solution that, that puts us in a better position to, to face City on the, at the semifinal? I'll tell you what we have got compared to some of the other teams is real depth of squad. Right? So I know sometimes that can give us too many options and we don't pick them. But, you know, watching Harry Kane go down uh, this weekend, that's going to really hurt Spurs. And, you know, in hindsight, I sort of, uh, I do agree with him, actually. Man City are very much like us. They're on the peak of their offensive form right now. Can they sustain that the next four or five weeks? I'm not so sure. It's very much built around three players. So he takes one of those players to have a bad game and, and we're in. And we have to remember they still have got Otamende, Kolarov, Clichy, the same fools at the back that we can... That I don't think we fear them. And of all the big the big six, and I include Everton in that, um, to play them gives me the least fear. That makes sense. I don't think they're going to... out. I don't think they're going to bully us. They are quite athletic. They're quite fast. I think we can match them in that. And I, I don't think we have such a mental hangover with C. And then um, moving on to where we are in, in a month or so's time, I totally agree with you about the Bayern factor. Bayern was pre, the Bayern draw was pre-City and pre-Everton. And before that week, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. Things can change very, very quickly. And there are some green shoots of confidence returning. You can't validate it at the moment because it's been... You know, 55 minutes versus Bayern and the second half versus a non-league team. But there are some, you know, the first stepping stones to a rebuild of confidence. And when Arsenal are confident, they are a different animal completely. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there is the possibility that, you know, when that semifinal rolls around and we've slipped to eighth and we don't have to concentrate on the league anymore and Alexis and Ozil have already signed contracts somewhere else, that we can really just focus on the semifinal. So I think you have to be an optimist like that sometimes. I know that's not really what any of you guys specialize in, but I can see the silver lining, and uh, I think that's what sets me apart. In any event, uh, uh, Paul, I was going to give you a chance to uh, address an issue that in no way makes me petty, which is just um, this Lucas Perez guy. We we were expecting this big second half of the season from him. Uh, didn't happen. Didn't get selected for this FA Cup tie. I mean, I guess all I can ask you right now is, at this point, I think it is fair to ask... Is Lucas Perez in some way emblematic of some of the issues of the way this squad is is put together and some of the questions about why players were bought or what the the idea behind buying them was? With, with, the, with the benefit of hindsight now, what's your take on why Lucas Perez was bought? Um, well, like, I love Lucas Perez, the little I've seen. So I'm, I'm very much uh, in the... Why isn't he playing camp? Um, but when you go game by game, it's not always that obvious. I mean, this was not a bad front three we started with, and there was a logic to it. Um, but don't get me wrong, I'd be shoehorning him in here for a lot of these games. Interestingly, 
when the manager has talked about Lucas Perez, he basically says, shit, if I'd known Welbeck would be back this soon, I wouldn't have bought him. Which is kind of a... Now, he doesn't put that tone on it, but it's... Subtext. Strange. Yeah, it, it's pretty close to it. I'm, I'm sure he says it nicely, and I'm sure... But if I was Lucas Perez, I'd be like, what the fuck? He's gone and said it again. Um, so The irony, of uh, course, is the other club that was getting ready to sign him that we hijacked from Everton has the informed striker in all of England. So it's kind of, you kind of wonder what would have become of him there, too. But <laughs> They do. And the other club was Barcelona. So yeah. I guess a lot of clubs um, are going to sign him. But, but, but um, that said... Um, you know, I still think he can have a significant role for us. I don't know why he's not getting played. I love him. I, I pretty much love everything he does. I think he's got, he can make, the, the, here's the plus side with Lucas Perez. He can bring us a lot of value even when he's just getting 20 minutes at the end. But um, I don't know why he isn't getting more time. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I, it, it's certainly a question. Tim, I guess what I would say to you then is, it becomes increasingly clear that Lucas was bought as cover for Welbeck, right? I mean, that, that yeah. seems clear. You've said that, and I think that's absolutely spot on. But if that's the case, and we think back to summer, when there was absolutely no assurance that Alexis would be able to play center forward. I mean, he, he had never really been given that option at Arsenal, and it had never really been considered that he would become uh, our regular center forward. So if you draw the conclusion that Perez was signed not to win the center forward job, but to be cover for Welbeck, then is there any conclusion you can come to other than the fact that Arson was perfectly happy to go into this season with Olivier Giroud as his first choice striker again? Um, I wouldn't use the words perfectly happy. Um, I think he would resigned have, yes. to resigned to doing that. May, maybe resigned to, maybe somewhere between resigned and perfectly happy. You know, it's obvious he's been looking for that centre forward for a while. And, you know, when did, when did the Perez deal go through? Like August the 25th or something? Um, you know, he didn't exactly jump on it. He made a bid for Jamie Vardy in May. And then nearly three months later, we, we got Lucas Perez, which, I, you know, that timeline tells you something. Can really. I ask and you I that, think, Tim, just real quick. If we had gotten Vardy, do you believe Vardy would have probably maybe sort of been the same kind of thing that Perez is then? Just down the packing order for, for depth? I think so, yeah, yeah, because they're a similar age, aren't they? You, so, and so then, if that was the first choice, and he was a guy we were going after in you know June, it even further suggests that the manager felt that a little depth at center forward was what he needed, but that he was content if he had to go to Giroud as his his first choice this season. Quite possibly, looking at the market, yes. Um, I still think that all things being equal, he would prefer to have Danny Welbeck um, as his center forward. Um, particularly because something that does seem to have happened with Welbeck even before you know this injury is that his finishing does seem to have improved. And I think a lot of people, certainly in England, have been saying for the last four or five years, if Welbeck is a ruthless finisher, you've got the complete striker because uh, he's an excellent player. He just hasn't always been a killer in front of goal. Um, but I think Arsene probably had a look at the market and thought, do you know what, am I going to spend three months chasing, you know, the Benzema oasis in the desert again or another three months um, unsuccessfully trying to get Suarez and Higuain? I think he probably just looked at the market this time and thought, do you know what, I'm going to make a grab for what I can get. And, and actually some of the intel suggests that Vardy was reluctant to go to Arsenal because he wasn't guaranteed. 
um, you know, first team football, and maybe he would have even been played wide in one of the wide positions in the front three, um, because you know we forget quite easily that Theo Walcott's form was in the toilet at the end of last season, and his kind of renaissance at the beginning of this was, if not a surprise, not something that you know we were necessarily banking on. Um, so that you know there, there have been a few developments since. I think that. I still think that he wanted to move away from a striker like Giroud and perhaps, you know, he'd have gone a bit happy medium and gone for a, a options where he could rotate um, between Giroud, Welbeck and, you know, Vardy slash, slash Lucas Perez. But, um, yeah, I, I, I always thought the Perez signing, you know, a bit like Davos Suka or something, just always struck me as a one-year signing. You don't sign a 29-year-old right at the end of the transfer window because he's part of your long-term plans. And even though he's been playing well, I think that's why he's not getting opportunities because basically Arsene's looking at his 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 front, you know, his front options and he's thinking, yeah, Walcott has a long-term future here. I want Alexis to have a long-term future here. I'm fine with Giroud. Um, it's that last know, part like that bothers me, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with Giroud. But, you know, he's always... And Giroud's like a good squad option to have. He's, he's relatively consistent in front of goal. But, I, you know, I think he's just looking at it. And, you know, because Giroud's 30 and Lucas Perez is 29. So, you know, you wouldn't have thought they could both survive. And it's it's relatively obvious who he prefers. Yeah, I mean... I, can I, go can ahead, I just go ahead, add quickly... Yeah to Tim's uh, rotation scenario. I mean, he was very insistent that Walcott's days as a centre-forward weren't over, as Walcott says, ah, I think I'll just stay out here on the wing, you know, in, in pre-season and first game or two. He said uh, Theo was no longer a consideration as a wide player. <laughs> yeah. He specifically said so, that. He's played the whole season yeah. there. So I, th- I think Tim's right. I think the manager didn't find the striker he was looking for in the summer. He was looking at Lacazette. I'd, he was obviously looking seriously, but was that really the striker he wanted? We'll never know. Uh, Perez seems to be filler. A good, you know, a good halfway, can play on the wing, can fill in at centre forward. But, I mean, to be fair, he did start Alexis at centre forward very early on, so he saw him... Well, he didn't have a, Giroud. I mean, that that's really yeah. the thing, right? I mean, he's, he yeah, didn't yeah. have Giroud. Yeah, but... It, and then Alexis we're, played we're well, discu- and he couldn't move him out. But if we're discussing ro- rotation options, he obviously took the Alexis at centre-forward option pretty seriously, too. So he obviously had three or four players that he thought could get him goals from various positions up front, but didn't have his ideal striker. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I look at it as the season started before Perez was there and before Giroud was there, and Alexis was really the only option, so we used him, and then he played well, and then that kind of made a decision for him. If he hadn't played well, I think it would have been Giroud up front all season. But look, that's that's, uh, rewriting history at this point. I do agree that that Giroud was the main man. Yeah, and he continues to be. I mean, look, he's starting to kind of make his move back to being our first choice striker. Well, look, we don't know right, if, look, we'll if we hadn't had a bit of a fallout with Alexis. It might be very different at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I do, I, I do, I do think Giroud was played at the weekend, not for his striking ability, but for his defensive ability. I think um, Lincoln were obviously going to play set piece football, long throws, lots of crosses in the box, and Drew was brought back a lot for those scenarios and made a few headed clearances and I know it sounds crazy for us to think about him playing him because he's a better defender but he is 
he trusts Giroud more than Lucas in that situation. I think what he should be thinking, if we were more confident and we had better results behind us, he's thinking, who's the best striker in a crowded box, Giroud or Lucas? And it doesn't really matter. They're both very good at that. I think Lucas's movement in crowded box is absolutely brilliant, the way he makes two, three runs and makes great wall passes. And it just shows you where Wenger is confidence-wise. He's looking to build it, the team's confidence again. And he went for the safe option. That's fair. And I think he, I think he finds too many reasons to play Giroud rather than think, well, actually, I can get far more combination play, far more fluidity. Because I think Giroud, the more I see him play for Arsenal, the more I think we're developing past him. I really do. I just feel he looks totally out of place. His physical attributes are limited. They force us into areas of the pitch we don't want to be. I think with a more mobile, technical, combining centre-forward, or forward, who can play wide, who's more flexible than Vardy, I think it opens up so many different creative patterns and it's a shame that we're not in that confident place to, to see more minutes from him. Real quick, I, and then I got another question for you, but just, I mean, for the hell of it, just to open up the can of worms, because why not? What else are we going to talk about? Um, of all the transfer mistakes of the past few seasons and the, the holes in the squad that have been left and the areas that weren't addressed when they needed to be, is arguably the biggest mistake the summer where we could have just ponied up for Higuain and let ourselves down Suarez's path um, and and never solved the striker situation there, especially in light of what Higuain's gone on to do since then? No. Clive? Well, I think, I think it could be. I think, it, I, I think it could be. He's one of the best center I mean, forwards in it, world football three seasons running. I think it was when it started, and Tim will remember all the details, but I think it was about 19, 20 million, wasn't it, when it started and ended up close to 30, and we shied away. And when we shied away, I, I wasn't devastated at the time, but thinking back, it was so short-sighted. But, but then again, I just watched Kante storm the whole midfield playing for Chelsea, and then you look at that. And how he got to Leicester for five million, and how we didn't go thirty-five to go and get him. So I always you know, have a hard time misses. being upset losing a player to you know Chelsea, for example, just because you wonder is there an amount of money we could have gone to to win that bidding war? But Higuain was there for the having, and I realize that I guess it was yeah. Napoli at the time went up to a price we were uncomfortable with, but we were never getting Suarez. We got led down the primrose path there. It was totally ridiculous. One of the really, I think, naive. Demonstrations that's 100% hindsight. No, it's not. Obviously, no, not uh, even remotely. Excuse me. Everybody knew we, we went... weren't getting Suarez. Everybody. No, they did the not. The bid was ridiculous. They absolutely did not. Of course they did. And obviously the t- Arsenal didn't... Well, then that's, are... then that's their fault. They're, they're paid to know this stuff. I mean, look, Yeah, that's why it's hindsight. You right, but what I'm saying say, is you get you judged on your results. That, it's you hindsight to say, say we lost to, to... You cannot say the people who are in a far better position with you with information are completely wrong and you're completely right. But only in hindsight. I wasn't convinced we couldn't get Suarez. I was. Suarez was pushing for it. Uh, And as I said, if you want to open up this can of worms, great. It's a really big fucking can of worms that's debated up the wazoo. Fair. I'm not going to have it. Well, I'll put it this way. All right, go ahead, Tim. Also, Suarez did have a clause in his contract. Um, It's just that Liverpool welched on it. But see, that's kind of my point, right? I mean, Suarez backed off. That's the real. And, and, and Arsenal didn't, didn't want to push the legal side of the of the clause because they may have had to make clear how they knew about the clause 
which is confidential information. Right? So it, it opens up a whole signal, lot. Had Suarez given them the signal on their side that he was willing to go all the way, maybe we would have pushed much harder. But he obviously got fucking cold feet and decided he'd hang on for Barcelona next year. I can tell you this much. The minute we put in the bid at 40 million and one pounds, we were never getting Suarez. Ah, oh, fuck off. Anyway. That, the 40 million and one gets us upset had absolutely fucking zero effect. It was all about whether Suarez wanted to push or not. And that one dollar or one pound made absolutely fuck all difference to Suarez. I, I genuinely think that Suarez thought he could go to Barcelona that summer, and it wound up having to be the following summer. But, but hang on. If, if our knowledge is 100%, how did Suarez get it so wrong, and yet we knew what was going to happen? I don't he think, was better positioned than us. I don't think he got but, it wrong. I mean, he got, he got a huge raise for one season and went to su- Barcelona the following summer. But look what you're saying. We're so much smarter than Suarez who got it completely wrong. We're not so fucking smart. We're just looking at that in hindsight and saying it was always going to turn out that way. Well, Suarez got it wrong. Arsenal got it wrong. I think his agent got got everything he wanted. He got him a big raise in his move to Barcelona the following summer. Yeah, but you're saying he didn't see it coming. He thought he was going to Barcelona that summer, so he got it wrong. I can't prove. So what we're saying is the outcome was not certain. Fine. I I can't prove that. At the end of the day, we moved off of a guy we could definitely get for a guy that we didn't have that kind of clarity of situation. You say we could have definitely got him. Why Why do we think we could? They offered more money. As I understand it, he wasn't paying tax. Who's to say they wouldn't have gone further and further again? Well, I mean, we look, we, we can debate this all, all, all day long. At the end exactly. of the day, for me, we needed a striker. We had, our, we had our sights set on one of the best in the world. We took our eye off the ball and switched it to we someone else. We took our eye off the ball. We took our eye the off money, the player. The money moved up $10 million. Yeah, in, in retrospect, yeah, he was a bargain. The signal we got was that the money was going to move up further if we needed to. And Suarez said, I want out. I want to come to you guys. And we made a decision. And in hindsight, you're saying it's 100% certain what was going to happen. Bullshit. All right. Well, here's what I do know. We wound up playing with Olivier Giroud. We never got the star striker we wanted. We've been fighting to find a solution for that position for ages. And we've ma- gone with make do. I mean, you're ultimately the buck stops stop somewhere. And ultimately, it's stupid even discussing players because you know what? It's not players that are causing us to fail to win. What's causing us to fail to win is something beyond players at this point. But, Clive, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because um, I found out this week that I don't want the manager uh, to change. I've actually been brainwashed, as it turns out. Absolutely. Um, I I didn't know that until he told me, so appreciate that. The noises have kind of changed a little bit this week. Um, Are you starting to get the feeling, based on the noises coming out of the club now and, and some of the things the manager have said? I mean, we know he wants to stay. Are you starting to get the feeling that that there's a much stronger possibility that he does stay now? There's a much part. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think um, there's a good article coming out from Jeremy Wilson tonight talking about a potential new director of football coming in and the structure changing. And I don't know what you guys feel, but it feels like the message is being managed and it feels like we're being managed. So there's articles coming out of discussing change. Uh, I still would like to hear more from Gazidis. I mean, if there's going to be change at Arsenal, there needs to be a change agent. And I'm looking at him, our chief executive, to actually be that person. But I'm not really hearing from him. We're just hearing from well-known journalists who we all know who are well-informed by the club, but no one's putting their name to it. So that's disappointing. But at least we're starting to hear things, whether we believe it or not, whether it's season ticket renewal time or not, whether... 
whether it's just putting us all back in our boxes, we are starting to hear things about something different, about words like reinvention, words like structure, words like I'm prepared to change myself and reinvent myself. I think we're starting to suddenly those things are hitting the press. And it, it does feel a little bit like all oh, the natives of you know, start get get their A4 piece of paper out. So let's start saying things that they want to hear, which is disappointing me. Really. I'd love to see a much more longer term strategy that makes you feel convinced that they know where they're going. But more importantly, I'd like to see a longer term strategy that makes players who we're talking about buying, by the way, we just had a discussion about it, you two guys did. Let's be honest. If you want right? to call it a Play- discussion, sure, we can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> top, top players only come to, they, they, they arrive at projects now, don't they? There's not so much clubs. They are, they join projects, and what's our project? That's right. Yeah. That, that, you what's know what, our project? That's a great way of putting it, Clive. Because I was actually thinking today, you know, what's the way I'd like to see us play? And I, I was having a hard time stumbling onto like what I think we do really well right now. You know, we used to be all oh, the the pretty triangles, the possession in midfield, the the you know the passing, the pretty passing build up play. Like, I'm not really sure what we stand for from a footballing perspective right now. Um, and that's as much the problem as anything. We don't have a clear USP in terms of our playing style. Tim, um, sounds like we're going to be subjected to the ignominy of the uh, plain banner situation uh, for the West Brom game. Um, There really is sort of this problem right now, isn't there, in terms of there may be a lot of people that are ready for a change of manager, but there's a real tension that exists between the people that are ready but don't want to see him hounded out, and the people that feel they either need to hound him out or that hounding him out gets them some face time on camera. Um, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it because I think there are always going to be people that want to make a situation about them, but do you see the protests and the, the banners and the plane as a legitimate uh, tactical approach to getting what they want, or do you think it is just... Uh, naked attention-seeking? Um, I think there's a bit of both in there, um, and it will probably depend person to person. Um, unfortunately, the club have, have really legitimised this um, by saying, you know, yeah. some of the, you know, the the, the, the the absolutely infamous quote by now from Gazidis, and I was in the room when he said it, when um, he said, you know, ultimately, and... And the way he said it as well, um, you could see his brain ticking over when someone <laughs> asked who is Arsene Wenger accountable to. And he really didn't want to say, you know, the, the messaging has changed since then because I think they realised what a, what a slip up that was. And it's like, no, no, he is accountable to the board. It's fine. It's fine. But you could really see his face going and you could really see his brain ticking over. And he just kind of went, ultimately, he's accountable to the Fans. And it was just trying to you know, pull those speech bubble back into his mouth. Yeah, yeah. And then the second it slipped out, there was a little bit of an intake of breath. You know, nothing major, but it was it was just like, did, did, did he just say that? And and you know, and you you, I think Arsene even said in his press conference the other day, you know, it it would form part of the picture. Um, I I still think it 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 does form a massive part of the picture of. of and I'm not going to go into again why I think that because I've said it many times here and in other places. Um, I, I really think that the, basically the picture is that Arsene does not want to go. He does not want to leave. But if it comes to a stage where he thinks he cannot, you know, turn back the tide of 
fan and not just fan but media sentiment and those two you know he connects those two things a lot and he's, he's not incorrect to do that uh, necessarily but if he feels like he just can't row that back then you know I, I think that is the ultimate consideration because I don't think he thinks he's doing a bad job all in but basically he's coming to a time in his life where he must just be thinking do you know what just give me that PSG job give me a real a, a, you know a fairly uncompetitive league because Monaco will be picked off in the summer um, Nice will probably be picked off as well so PSG will be able to win Liga and a canter next year you know fresh start try the Champions League with them have you know have some unlimited funds to blow you know, there must be a part of him that's thinking, yeah, that, that, you know, I'm knocking 70. That looks quite good to me at the moment compared to this. But, you know, I don't think he wants that. I think he'd find it a wrench to leave. But, and, and so you can see why um, there are a lot of supporters who, who feel like this is the way to go. And as, as much as I don't like to see it, and as much as I think with some people, not all people, not even the majority, with some people, yes, it's a bit, um, you know, I'm going to put the contents of my Twitter feed on a banner on a plane and all that's just fucking rubbish. And people standing in front of the cameras on Arsenal fan TV, like someone got, you know, Wenger out printed on their shirt and then they wore their shirt back to front and put themselves in front of the camera, which is Jeez. just like yeah. one of the most ridiculous, absurd things I've ever seen. Like if, if you're printing your opinions on individual discrete issues on your shirt and you fucking lost your mind quite frankly um but that's that's you know that's that's not the picture with most people and you can see why they're emboldened by it because you don't feel like the club are gonna uh, well sorry it's not in the case that you don't feel like the club are not gonna put him under any pressure they're not going to oust him they're not really even gonna hold him to account that much so you know, if you really, really passionately think Arsene Wenger should go, it's 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 difficult to see how else, um, because you know the fans are really the only feel like that they're the only vehicle to really hold him to account now, and um, you know that's 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 just a failure of leadership um, from yeah. the club, I'm afraid. That that's really, you know for me, Tim. I think the the problem I have is there's two options, right? The decision hasn't been made yet. Or it's been made one way or the other and it hasn't been announced, right? I don't think any of us believe the decision has been made, right? That if you believe everything, there's a two-year contract on offer, the manager hasn't decided. Like, if there's one thing that, would, that really disappoints me about this situation, it's that something this enormous is being allowed to just be determined by Arson at whatever yeah. final moment he feels is appropriate. And that in and of itself is just not going to allow for the club to be successful. Yeah, we're looking after him. We're looking after Arsenal, not Arsenal. Yeah, and, and that, that's, that's what bothered me. Paul, I, I, uh, how are you doing? You doing all right? Great, thanks. How's yeah. your, day, your day going okay? Grand. Grand, yeah. Lovely. Good. Lovely yeah. day. Good, good to hear it. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, I, I think, well, a couple, why don't you just quickly tack on to that, and then i got a question for you. Yeah, a couple of quick things. So the, the Gazidis quote that's always quoted, uh, you know, it, with all due respect, I don't think fans... I think, when was the league started? Uh, uh, 1888 or something. I think by 1889, fans had already invented 
marches and banners to get rid of their manager. I don't think any of these people wake up in the morning and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Gazeta said in 2011, uh, if you want to get rid of a manager, then it'll be the fans. Who, they don't they don't care. So I think that's look, that's a fair point. To, if he had never said that, do you think there still it, wouldn't it be marches or banners? All right, difference, well, yeah, I honestly. Get that. So the, uh, Clive had a point, too, which I think is a good one. And there might be a lot of merit to it on the director Jeez. of football. Uh, and uh, managing the message. But here's a counterthought. Um, Robert Perez, out of the blues, when asked if he'd what he'd like to do in football or in the future, he says, I'd like to be the director of football at Arsenal. And I'm thinking, we don't have a director of football at Arsenal. I wonder where he dreamed this shit up from. He's there training with the lads. He's in and around the scene. He's Arsenal's biggest Arson's biggest supporter, quietly being a company man, never saying anything wrong, always saying things right. Is there a possibility that actually director of football as a concept has been on the table for a long time? I'm not saying it's been promised to Robert Perez, but he knows about it. They, he's had nice chats internally with them. He's making friends mm-hmm. with the ownership without having a political position, without being in the media, without, you know, when he does commentary, it's in France, nice and safe on other topics. I just float that one out there that maybe director of football is not something they pulled out of their ass last week. Well, I mean, I, I guess that raises the question, though. I mean, if Arsene Wenger were to stay, and, and I'll, I'll let you have a quick word on this, and then I want to ask you, Clive, because it was kind of your point. Um, do you think that he would stay under a situation where he was asked, or I would say forced, although I, it's impossible to see anyone at Arsenal forcing Arsenal to do anything, but but told that if he were to stay, he would have to allow for there to be a director of football and give over some of his authority? Can you see the manager staying sure. with, with any kind of Be- diminished role, set of responsibilities? Sure, because I think he w- a it it gets him what he wants, which is a route to getting a few more years in the job, transitioning to a better structure to hand over so that his legacy is protected. B, you wouldn't say it to him like that, and you probably wouldn't even mean it like that. What you would say is, Arson, help us bridge from where we are to where we want to go. We'll pick somebody that works with you. You know, we brought in a, a CEO, Ivan Gazidis, to work under Arson, although it was alongside. You can bring in a director of football, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying it's going to be Robert Perez, but if you brought in Robert Perez, I don't think Arson's going to find that tr- too threatening. I think he's going to find that as a, as an assist to him, somebody that he can help group f- groom for the future, someone who's 100% got his back. Sure, if you bring in the right person, I don't think Arson sees that as any kind of a front, and it's an aid to the rationale of why Arson needs to stay for another couple of years to pr- protect the uh, the Arsenal way and to give us the path forward and I think you know uh, I don't know what people's thoughts on uh, on Perez specifically is but if you brought in the right player you know Dennis who the fuck would argue with Dennis Bergkamp as Arsenal's director of football anybody I I, I guess the only question is if you are bringing in a director of football to work with Arsene much like Ivan Gazi is the CEO who is in fact working under Arsene then maybe what you are doing is laying the groundwork for when he leaves and putting the structures in place, but you're not actually changing anything at Arsenal immediately because really no. you're just creating another uh, direct, no, re- direct report for Arson. Um, but I'm being realistic. I mean, you're no, not going to bring in. You're not going to bring in a. Uh, T. Bergestrand or whatever the hell that guy's yeah. name is, and have him work under. No, I get it. Um, yeah. 
So, Clive, I mean, is that really the issue then that that the the club needs to modernize its behind the scenes structures and no matter what you think of Arson, the coach, the manager who recruits talent, no matter what you think of him as Arsenal manager, his continued participation in that role restricts the club's modernization of its structures behind the scenes? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Good, that's a good point from Paul, actually, about Perez. And Don't give him I'm that. Not sure Don't, he, come on. I'm, not, I'm having I'm a hard not sure enough time reining the guy in as it is over here. <laughs> Elliot, sure stop he, interrupting people. Try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if he's... Uh, the right person for me only because I'd like to see a mentality reset. I think that's more of the same. Um, but it's a good point. And I, I think if anything's come out of this recent turmoil is that I think we've been exposed as a, as a club. I think our holes have been not just on the playing side, but on the organizational side have been laid to bear. And if I think Wenger's legacy is really threatened by the people and the structures left behind and if you're a serious football man, strategist, someone's oh no, helped build our club up from a, a medium to big club to a super club, and then you leave behind no people to carry to carry on a structure to allow someone else to come into your any form of succession planning, I think that's I think that's shameful. I think the club potentially has been shocked into addressing this, maybe a little bit sooner than they expected. And maybe, I know we're all guessing here, and we've all got our own story of filling gaps in, but maybe there was no intention for Wenger, for Wenger to go into the season. He was always staying. Suddenly, we've been exposed, and suddenly, we, maybe he's going to stay only on the premise that he works in a completely different structure with different accountabilities, different reporting lines. So uh, that could... Is that realistic? Although, period, I, I, I really do think so. I really do think so. You have to give the fans something you can't give them exactly the same they've got to give them something so i think they're preparing that as i said to manage that message that allows him a little bit more time and maybe slightly reduced responsibilities and then so when when he does end up going then the next person can come in a different structure and um and actually have a chance of succeeding him because right now nobody can succeed him because Wenger does four people's jobs Tim, does the and I think that's well said, and I think it's completely right, Clive. Tim, does the emphasis on the manager right now and and the lack of an answer with respect to what his future is 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 it a diversion that the team, the manager, the players can overcome to keep the focus on the season and do what needs to be done, or do you think it is too great a distraction? I mean, at every press conference now, every player is asked about his future. The manager is asked about his future. There's uncertainty over contracts. It's hard to resolve that uncertainty absent a, a clear uh, knowledge of what the managerial uh, succession plan is or, or if Arson is staying. Does this situation and the instability surrounding it make it impossible for the team to get the season back on track? No, because um, that talk will always be dictated by results. If we're winning games, that talk, um, maybe it doesn't go away. But it's You believe it's that, even though his contract is up at the end of the quieter. season? You think so? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, Wenger's, he, he said that, uh, did he say a decision would be made like at the end of March or April or something like that? Whether they communicate that decision, um, you know, externally, you'd have to think that if that's what he's saying, that, you know, the players will be told at least and the staff. And, you know, that's 
that's the most important thing um, because, you know, whatever we can entertain ourselves with the whole like media circus around it, but really it's the players are the ones that need to feel um, not necessarily stable and comfortable. Maybe they don't, but it's the players who need to realise the gravity of the situation the most. The rest of us are just like, you know, thrashing about and trying to pass the minutes and hours of our lives as they steadily tick on um, by talking about this stuff. <laughs> Jesus all the Christ, and I thought it was dark earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, that, that suggests to me that what he means by that is something will be communicated within the club. Whether, you know, whether there'll be an announcement, I'm not sure. But if the players know what's going on, then you'd have to think it'd be much easier for them to then focus on getting the job done. And like I said, if, we, if we're winning games, and I realise that's quite a big if, um, then I, I don't think it will, nec- it will be too difficult to focus. And, you know, we've got two really distinct, important targets to go for as well in terms of finishing in the top four and winning the FA Cup. And we've got some big games on the horizon as well. We're playing Spurs, we're playing Man City twice. We've got Manchester United. You know, all of this stuff is coming up. Um, so I, I don't think it should be too difficult for, for, for the club to focus. For the rest of us, yeah, maybe it's going to be difficult, but really um, how relevant is that? I think what's really hurt, I mean, this is the irony. Okay, the season wasn't looking super bright when we went to play Bayern in the first leg of the Champions League, but it wasn't really total calamity yet. We lose 5-1 to Bayern. Since that time... Apart from playing two non-league sides, the only other games we played were the loss at Liverpool and the 5-1 to Bayern in the second leg. It's been such a staccato period, a broken-up period of the season, and the only real results, if you take away non-league games, have been pretty devastating ones. And so there hasn't been a chance for the club to focus on what's happening on the pitch or to restore any goodwill with the performances or to show any shoots of recovery or to really do anything to lift... The, the players and the fans and the manager. And as a result, the discussion of the manager has intensified during that period. And here we go again. We're going to play West Brom at the weekend and then not play again until we host City on the 2nd of April. Um, so, I mean, you got to get that win at West Brom to stop the bleeding or it's just going to be almost an entire month having been spent debating this topic. And, and the ugliness surrounding that. And then it gets really, really tough because you're playing on April 2nd and April 5th and April 10th and probably April 13th with a game that's going to have to be rearranged like the Leicester game and then April 17th and 22nd and there's an FA Cup semifinal. And it's just, you know, we're going to be playing every three days in April um, after having played one league fixture in all of March. It's, or two, it's incredible. Um, Paul, finish with you just quickly. Um, how you doing? Great. Good. Thanks. How's your day going? Oh, good. Grand. Yeah. No, good. Um, Not grand. Grand. So I, I guess the, the question for me is, do you think, if you had to look into your crystal ball, I mean, do you think at least with what little football we've played, and but, but what's come from it, do you believe now that the manager will go forward? And I realize we have to see what the deal is with Ox. So there hasn't been an announcement about Ox's injury, right? It was a hamstring, but we haven't been told anything yet. Correct. So I heard it was I heard it was precautionary, but we've oh, heard that good. before, and we lost so we lost for back in for about two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
amputation. Uh, so then, Paul, just real quick, you think he'll stick with the three-man midfield? And that? I mean, I remember a few seasons ago, fourth, fourth place was really on edge. I think it was when we had taken all those hammerings. And if you remember, he went to a really defensive, conservative setup. You guys remember that? And we ground out a bunch of one-nils and kind of clung by our fingernails to fourth place. But he changed things, just made us a little tighter at the back, and, and that was his path. Do you think... Do you think the three-man midfield and maybe moving Ozil out wide or just dropping him quite a bit is is the change he's going to go to to try to get the season back put together? Uh, my guess will be no. I think you go back to your <laughs> four, two, oh, three, one. On. Just give me something. Throw me a fucking bone. <laughs> I mean, uh, I th- I, my guess will be that uh, Ox won't be available for the West Brom game. Um, so then you got a challenge as to who the three would be. Um, could be a woe be, but I still, I, I think, um, don't say unless Francis you guys don't know something Cochran. different. Don't say Francis <laughs> no, I think Ozil will, will, will come, come back in and I think he'll start to play him in his proper position. And it's away at West Brom, so they might be, he might be hoping they're not overly defensive and that we, we've enough possession, but they don't sit too deep. But even if they do sit deep, he likes Ozil in the final third with the ball, so he might just play him in his best position. Long term, I don't know. I'm not sure the manager knows yet. I don't think he's ready to switch authoritatively to a three-man midfield going forward. And two of those three men that we, as a three that we like are highly injury-prone, so I don't think even if he wanted to, He's going to be able to maintain that three-man midfield for any period of time. Interesting. That's a good point. Well, quick one one word or one sentence answers. Tim, what do you think? you think he'll revert back to Coughlin, Shaco, Ozil at the 10, or you think he's going to try to give this three-man midfield a little run? I think he'll give this three-man midfield the next game and go from there. Okay, West Brom. That, uh, let's hope it works. Who, how about, how about who you? Do you? Who do you think the three will be, though? If Ox is not fit, Tim? Yeah. If, if Ox is not fit, he'll go back. To, to Ozil at ten. If he is, he'll stick with that three. I think. You don't. You don't think there's a okay. chance he'd go Shaka Ramsey Awobi, and put Ozil on no. the left? No. Okay, Clive. Thoughts? Uh, if if Ox isn't fit, he'll go four two three one. He'll go old school. He'll go Shaka Ramsey. He'll go Ozil. He'll play Giroud. Because it's West Brom. They have four centre backs at the back, and he will worry about a set piece. He'll have Theo right. And he'll have Alexis left. But not Cochrane. the same. Not Cochrane. I uh, maybe I don't see. I don't, I'm not sure about Cochrane for away games, but you know, you never can tell. So um, I think he'll play Ramsey, and it'll be more of the same. And it'll be um, it'll be a pretty slow Arsenal looking for Alexis to make a difference. That's you, how it goes. You guys have really cheered me right up. I mean, just across the board with Tim reminding me that I'm ticking away towards my expiration, <laughs> with, with Clive telling me we're going to get more of the same. Oh, and hang on. I hate to do personal stuff on the podcast, but I just have to bring up my iPhone reminders here and check off real quick. Relitigate the Suarez transfer. Check. Got it. Okay. Good stuff. So that that's going to do it. Um I'm going to go uh, hit myself in the head with a bottle. In, an, in, in any event, I, I, you know, look, we will try to do a foursome from time to time. I know it's a little bit tough because we all like to get our word in. Um, and so, you know, it's a work in process. But I think we can all say quite definitively we are thrilled to have Clive uh, as part of the podcast. And, Clive, thank you so here, here. much for classing, classing up the joint. Hey, um, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I really enjoy chatting with you guys. So cheers. Uh, uh, to, today. 
apart from today. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Uh, anyway, you can find Clive on Twitter at Clive PAFC, and we appreciate having you on. Tim, uh, we, of course, also appreciate having you on. You can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. And all evidence to the contrary, I am thrilled to have Paul on the podcast. Paul is on Twitter at Posn in My Pants. Paul, it is always a delight to be on the other side of a debate with you. I love you like a brother, dude. <laughs> the brother you killed and buried in the backyard. <laughs> Cain and Abel. <laughs> Cain and Abel. There you go. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter or bury me in your backyard at Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review and write nasty stuff, preferably about Paul, but if it has to be about me, so be it. Do it for Clive, though. Initiation. you got to say something nasty about Clive. That's the initiation no, fee. No. He can't handle it. His fragile ego can't handle it. The guy was on the cast. He can take anything. In any event, we will be back after, as Clive so elegantly put it, we go back to our 4-2-3-1 and play slowly and miserably at West Brom. Looking forward to it. Talk to you after that. Cheers. Cheers.